0: Welcome to our podcast series on IT security in government, underwritten this week by Google Cloud. I'm your host, Wyatt Cash, and in today's episode, we're exploring how the acceleration of lateral and persistent attacks and the fact that so many people are working remotely now are prompting security leaders in government to rethink their security and cloud strategies. Our guest today is Dan Prieto, Strategic Executive at Google Cloud for Public Sector. Dan formerly served as Chief Technology Officer at the Department of Defense and then as Director for Security Policy for the White House National Security Council in the Obama administration. He's held senior leadership roles at the Council for Foreign Relations at IBM and the Center for Strategic and International Studies and McKinsey and joined Google three years ago. Dan, thanks so much for joining us and welcome to the program. Thanks so much, Wyatt. Glad to be here. Well, let me start by asking, there have been some significant security breaches, as we all know, that have come to light this past year, which have made many agency leaders really reevaluate a lot of their security strategies. What is different about some of these attacks and how will that shape security strategies moving forward? It's a great question, Wyatt. And the last
1: year has really seen an uptick in attacks. I, I think the source of a lot of it at the beginning of the last year was the move to COVID remote work, uh, a real reliance on virtual private networks to allow remote access. And VPNs historically are a good way to provide employees to get into the enterprise to access what they need to, but they also present some vulnerabilities. And as a result of that, not just in government, but in the private sector as well, and in finance, in retail and insurance companies, uh, hospitals and the like like that VPN surge has actually resulted in a pretty significant uptick in criminal activity and attacks against those VPNs. In addition to that, we've seen significant attacks by nation states with the SolarWinds attack, which exploited in a novel way the software supply chain. We've seen attacks on sort of legacy identity infrastructures and legacy email with the Hafnium attacks. And then subsequent to that, there's been a real spate of ransomware attacks as well that are not only targeting sort of information systems, but also had the effect of shutting down operations. And we've seen that with pipelines and with meat processing facilities. And so there's real questions about the security of critical infrastructure. I think what's different about this, number one is just sort of the pace. Number two is sort of the boldness, really trying to, in some cases, have physical impacts as well as just traditional sort of information system disruptions. And so as a result of that, it's important for cybersecurity strategies to really think about the metrics of what constitutes successful cybersecurity. I think just greater protection to just prevent a lot of these instances and thus the push on the policy side to more zero trust, which is basically a stronger protective stance. And then the second one is faster time to detect, which really implicates the need for better uh, end-to-end cybersecurity analytics.
0: Well, trust is certainly becoming a more critical component of security. We certainly saw it getting more attention from the White House executive order on cybersecurity for the nation. Where do you see the majority of government agencies on this journey to invest in zero trust architecture?
1: You know, it's really interesting. There was a survey that came out middle of last year, and it wasn't just government, but it was across industries in terms of how people were thinking about and investing in zero trust. And the survey found that there was a real surge that came with these attacks in investments in cybersecurity generally. But in many cases, those investments were sort of siloed and ad hoc, people investing more around network security, endpoint, application security, malware protection, identity protections, and the like. But at the same time that we saw those increases in investment really the respondents indicated that there hadn't been much investment in what they were calling sort of strategic projects around zero trust and those investments aren't necessarily divorced a lot of the ingredients these point solutions that people are investing in can be components of a zero trust strategy but what zero trust demands is really coordinating integrating and orchestrating those solutions in silos to really drive outcomes and the outcomes that you're trying to drive are really making sure that connecting from a particular network doesn't determine which services you can access, accessing services and data is granted based on what we know about you and your device, and that all access to services needs to be authenticated, authorized and encrypted. And so a lot of people have the ingredients in place. But what really needs to happen is, is moving from a tactical and ad hoc approach to one that is more strategic and more coordinated. In terms of where government agencies are on that path, I think the executive order is really an inflection point where we can move from just having a collection of IT security projects to one that is more outcomes-based by coordinating those projects. And we recently did another webcast where we just polled our audience quickly. is a rough straw poll in terms of where people are on the journey. And in that quick polling, about 37% of respondents were basically still in the sort of researching and trying to figure out what to do in terms of zero trust. Around were in the planning stages. Obviously, I think that number will go up with the requirements from the executive order because people have their initial plans due to the White House within the next month. About 20 to 25% were in the deploying phase. And there was very few people that had really completely, in their view, gotten to zero trust on a particular application or or data set, and that was sub 5%. So I think that's reflective. Again, not hugely scientific because it was just a straw poll of the folks on a webinar recently, but I think that's instructive.
0: How would you say that COVID-19 and the pandemic has opened up more opportunities and conversely maybe presented more challenges for agencies to make these important security investments?
1: COVID forced a different way of work, and it forced a real rapid repositioning for IT and security staff to enable all that remote work. On the one hand, as we've discussed, that created vulnerabilities that people have been trying to exploit in the increase um, in attacks. But at the same time, I think what it proved was that when there is a burning platform or an urgent scenario, government IT leaders can really move quickly. I think there's been a view that the COVID push to remote work and all that, the implications that, had for IT really forced multiple years of transformation into a very short time because of the business need. So I think on the one hand, it poses challenges. On the other hand, I think it's promising in that it shows that government and IT professionals and security professionals can move quickly in order to meet a need and really come together on that front.
0: Well, next, let me ask, what does successful zero trust implementation really look like? And are there some examples where government is making some good progress that others can look to?
1: You know, I think successful zero trust implementation requires leaders to bring together and more tightly harmonize, coordinate, and orchestrate how different layers of security play together to drive those outcomes that we talked about. And what it means in terms of that is bringing together your investments in identity and provisioning and device management, bringing together that with your efforts or initiatives on multi-factor authentication, moving just from traditional identity and authentication infrastructures to things that are more context aware. How's the user behaving? What's the state of their device in terms of security updates and patches? What does anomalous versus baseline behavior look like? And then bringing that together with investments in encryption and bringing that together with investments uh, that we've seen in the last couple of years in sort of end-to-end visibility and dashboarding. Bringing all those things together and other elements in terms of the network and the supply chain, bringing all those things together to really drive that outcome of zero trust is really how you mark progress. Every agency out there has many of the ingredients. What needs to happen now is to move from sort of tactical siloed investments to a strategic approach to coordinating all these investments together. And in terms of progress, I think we've seen over the last year, definitely the level of awareness is up Now the level of perceived responsibility is up with the White House executive order. I think what's important is that the awareness needs to extend not just to IT executives, but to business executives as well. And I think the executive order does a good job of doing that. I think uh, the executive order has also shed light on the need for better data and log collection. That piece of the executive order can be stronger in practice, not only collecting the data, but making sure you can analyze it, which can be a big challenge for folks. And I think the cloud can really advance that. And then we've also seen people think really hard about de-risking the legacy environment, particularly around identity infrastructure and legacy email. And in some cases, we've had agencies and departments adopt more modern cloud-based collaboration tools that we provide to help advance and accelerate their journey to zero trust. We've also had a lot of inquiries for putting web-based and SaaS-based applications behind zero trust protections with our extension of our BeyondCorp zero trust history basically as a way to wrap web, and SaaS-based applications behind zero trust.
0: Lastly, Dan, we know that applying zero trust to everything is going to be a long-term journey. So in that light, what would you recommend as a strategy for prioritizing investments to move forward faster with zero trust in the shorter term?
1: I think it really requires departments and agencies and their leaders to understand the core relationships between IT and sort of their business mission and serving the customers of that organization. And then prioritizing the applications and data that are really most important and which would have the most impact on the mission and customers if disrupted. And so I think there's actually a lot of guidance out there already that can help organizations prioritize the applications and data that are most important to their mission. There's guidance, for example, on the federal civilian side out of OMB, and that's guidance that I worked on when I was in the White House regarding high value assets. And you know, on the national security and DOD side, there's similar guidance to think about what high value assets are. I think one important thing to note is that high value assets, they don't equate to what's classified versus unclassified. You can have critical information and applications that are unclassified. So for example, with the recent nation state attacks, we saw the secretary of a department, their email uh, was penetrated. And that sensitive and privileged communication is just as important to the functioning and decision-making of the department as is any classified data. On the DoD side, for example, logistics information is often unclassified. That is also critical to the achievement of mission. So really thinking through what applications and data are critical and really trying to bring zero trust to those more quickly. And what Google does here is we provide turnkey zero trust platforms with really native cloud zero trust security, for example, for secure collaboration and communication with our workspace product and for web and SaaS based remote access with our BeyondCorp Enterprise product. And we think if you think about what the cloud providers can provide and you mix it with how you prioritize the usage patterns and technology that are most important to protect for your mission, working in partnership can really accelerate a department or agency's
0: journey to zero trust. Those are some great points. I'm afraid we're going to have to leave it there for today, though. Dan Prieto, thank you so much, as always, for joining us to talk about the growing importance of zero-trust strategies to fortify the security posture of agencies across government. Thanks so much, Wyatt. I enjoyed it. And thanks to Google Cloud for underwriting today's episode. Look for more of our coverage on IT security in government on fedscoop.com and statescoop.com and our respective radio channels on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. This is Wyatt Cash. Thanks for tuning in.